The contents of the lab report are meant for educational purposes only. They're not meant to be misconstrued as medical diagnosis or treatment advice. Today on the lab report, I try to figure out how to reuse this gear. <laughs> we're fresh off our cross country tour and a brief holiday break, and we're back in the saddle. Oh, yeah, ready to go. <laughs> the world of medicine can be challenging. Clinicians and patients are always looking for more options, more effective treatments, and in the end, more answers. Functional and integrative medicine focuses on addressing root causes of disease. Here at Genova Diagnostics, we've watched this field evolve and grow for over 35 years. We've not only adapted, we've led. Join us as we talk about functional medicine, laboratory testing, and optimizing health. Welcome to the Lab Report. Thank you for the holiday candy corn. It's, it's disgusting, but it's at least well, you, red How and would green. you know you have you won't have one? <laughs> it's gross. You know, but you can't I know say you love it, disgusting. so I got it. <laughs> Hello. Hey Michael Chapman. Patty Devers. Happy oh. New Year. Oh, happy New Year to you. How are things? Things are going great. I'm very excited for 2022. But how about you? What's up? What's good? What's going on? Things are good. I mean, you know, I, I feel like I've been doing some self-reflection, got some time off. Started yeah. to read a book. Who are you? I know, right? Like, not a medical book? I was like, exactly. I'm so proud exactly. of you. Or a bio, you know, some sort yeah. of biochemical. That's not you. the same as reading a pathway. It's not the same as reading yeah. words. So Personal um, growth. Look at you. Yeah. I, you know, so I'm trying to, trying to better myself. I love it. I love it. And while we were away, we had a nice holiday and we were very grateful to meet a lot of you at the conference in Las Vegas, the A4M conference. So that was super fun. Fascinating to be around other people again. Yeah, first and foremost. And then to have people come up who listen to the show was even better. It was just fun to talk to people. I have to say, Vegas is an interesting place to go for like your first travel outing in two years. You know right. what I mean? It's sort yeah. of like, hey, uh, we've been holed up in this house <laughs> for like two years. Um, let's overstimulate. Right. You really where do you want to go? Really you want to ease into some vacationing? No, lights. let's just go to Vegas. Yeah. No, it's true, though. The kids had a blast, but I Good. will say... I still have vertigo from going up and down the elevator. You actually did, in fact, have vertigo. I still do, in fact, have vertigo from it. Wow. I think there's something seriously wrong with me. Wow. So uh, any of the uh, home remedies for vertigo out there, send them along, podcastgdx.net. <laughs> we should probably tell people that this is a, uh, a podcast. It is. Called The Lab Report, brought to you by Genomic Diagnostics, where we talk about things like functional medicine, specialty lab testing, and integrative therapeutics. And if you're brand new to the show, welcome. Hi. And if you're returning, thank you so much. And we appreciate all of your support. And hopefully you would have gone to iTunes or Spotify and perhaps subscribe to this show, maybe rate, review, leave of some stars. Hey, listen, right. if you've got feedback, like we're not doing something right, hey. or we are doing something right, right. that's good too. Mm-hmm. You can send it to podcast at gdx.net. And I will also say, it seems that inflation has hit the blackjack tables. Yeah. $25 minimum there. Really? Yes. See, I don't gamble, so I didn't even pay attention. Yes. So, uh, you know, when you only come with like $50, that's you're a like, problem. man, I, I hope I get lucky in one of these two hands. It's <laughs> not good. So, yeah, I mean, with all that simulation, it is certainly nice to come back and uh, get a little bit back into the groove. You know what I'm saying? Talk about lucky. We hit the jackpot with this little show called The Lab Report, and we're excited to be back here to talk to all of you about sciencey stuff. Speaking of sciencey stuff. Okay. You know, I've been thinking a lot about science words, okay. science, sciencey <laughs> sounding words. You know how I've lamented in the past about yes. how we sometimes use these like mm-hmm. syncope for passing out, right? Epistaxis exactly. for a nosebleed, exactly. Right. Which ultimately, I mean, it's basically jargon, right? And it, it it's, isolates it's a, people. It's a way right. of speaking mm-hmm. that one group would speak to each other um, that it that is other people wouldn't be familiar with, right? 
which kind of is jargon, right? Mm-hmm. Not, it's, it's a positive. It's not that that's insidious. Oh, no. It's the positive form of jargon. Right. We use, I'm j- make, make jokes about it, but it's, um, you know, that's what we're talking about. And so as literature evolves, yeah. right, new words emerge. So I'm going to take, for example, the astrobolome. Have you heard the word yeah. estrobolome? So yes. we know estrogen in our bodies gets metabolized through our GI tract, and so it suddenly becomes the estrobolome. And if you go into literature and you type in estrobolome, it's this shiny nickel, brand new sure. word, but it's sure. existed forever, and we've followed this physiology since Correct. the beginning of time. Yeah, and it's so it, I think one of the questions is, like, does, does that really, does that need to be consistently and constantly done? Right. But yeah, yeah. Because we can have a conversation about levels of estrogen and different body tissues and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. I get it that the estrobolome sort of is an umbrella roll up of an entire concept into one big term. But mm-hmm. do we need to, like, is that, why are we doing it? Because <laughs> that's what we do. And anyone who's gone to medical school or is any type of clinician knows that once you're in the medical field, you have to learn the new jargon, you have to learn a brand new language. And as literature evolves, we get these different catchphrases that you go into PubMed and suddenly it's a thing, but it's always been a thing. Right. It's like a rose by a different name means clearly you're not a botanist. <laughs> right? I think we've talked in prior episodes about the, the omics, right? Suddenly the study or the pursuit of one particular place of scientific knowledge suddenly becomes omics, like socioomics genomics, transcriptomics, and suddenly it's a new buzzword for things we've already been doing forever. You know, it's interesting to me. As you're saying this, you said estrabalome and, you know, omics. Yeah. There's a lot of this consonant om that's a part wow. of these words that's that I had genius. never thought about. Like, oh. maybe we're just trying to get back home. Anyway. I need a moment. But I guess what I'm thinking and trying to say is that we need to understand that these things are always just bricks piled on top of each other, right? And so when it, you know, for example, we have this idea of proteomics, right? And so we need to understand that as we're using words like this that are meant to, to roll up groups of information, right? It's almost like the phylogenic tree. We're, we're mm-hmm. rolling groups of information up. We can't, we can't, we can't swap terms, Right. right. So like pro the study of proteins existed prior to the development of the term proteomics. You know, same with I'm, genomics and transcriptomics yeah, exactly, and exactly. metabolomics and, and so the I feel, microbiome. I feel like as as things get more complicated and, and words get more complex, um, we need to not get ourselves lost in the sense of how we're building the house, right? Okay. Because we're applying it brick by brick by brick, and a certain amount of bricks create a wall, and walls create a house. So, like, we need to understand that these things are not interchangeable. To, to think about it from like a Dr. Seuss pers- perspective, it's turtles up and turtles down. <laughs> so, what you're saying is, if we're thinking about the bricks, think about something like our metabolomics profile. And the bricks would be things like organic acids or amino acids or Correct. fatty acids, things that have been around since the beginning of time that Genova's been studying for decades and leading that field. And now suddenly the term metabolomics comes around, but it's something that we've been expert at for decades. Right. And, you know, there's always this tricky tightrope that you have to walk, um, you know, in any field of science where essentially what you're trying to do is under to, to, to observe a pattern, right? And then you're, you create a hypothesis about how the pattern is connected. 
and then you test that hypothesis. And so what happens is as these predictions of patterns get tested and they work out over and over again, this hypothesis turns it more into like a theory of how we understand things, which is great. But when it comes to clinical medicine, we need to have understandings quicker, yeah. right? We yeah. can't wait for the theories to like be borne out. And so what we're trying to do is see the pattern, recognize it, make predictions, and then test it out and, and act on it. And so there's this, we always talk about being on the cutting edge, but not the bleeding edge. Because right. what happens is if you have a hypothesis, if you see a pattern, you're like, well, it's because of this. Now you're walking that line a little bit aggressively towards the bleeding edge because you haven't tested any of your hypotheses. You're just conjecturing. But again, that, that literature also evolves. And so even if you are on a, a, a cutting edge, right. right, you're collecting a bunch of data, things like organic acids and amino acids, and you're ascribing meaning to them clinically based on what evidence is available and continuing to test those hypotheses as time moves on. Right. And that's kind of what we've been doing here for... Precisely. Years. And yeah. I think, you know, in part about the idea of using like organic acids, metabolomics information to to make nutrient recommendations, because we we this notion, this recognition of pattern and pattern analysis and how it relates to enzyme function is born out of, pardon the pun, inborn errors of metabolism. Mm -hmm. And so this is where the notion of the hypothesis began. Which was and hundreds of years, a hundred years exactly, ago. Exactly, exactly. Because it's understanding the biochemistry. And then from there, over and over and over again, over the course of the study of metabolomics, even prior to the word of the invention metabolomics, mm -hmm. but when it was looking at just metabolites in serum or urine, interventions have been given, whether that's in inborn error metabolism or not. And the prediction and the hypothesis that is generated based on that connection is borne out. It's, it's yeah. demonstrated to work over and over again. And not only that, by speaking to clinicians and seeing patients' data and watching treatment protocols, we've heard it thousands and thousands of, time, of times. And the literature notoriously takes a while to catch up, but it Absolutely. is catching up. Absolutely. And that's just conventional medicine in general. But here in functional and integrative and precision medicine, we know that this is a thing. This is a thing that we hear and that we see that changes patients' lives. Exactly. And that's why I think it's just always important as clinicians and by proxy a lab, it's super important to come at this type of information from the mindset of good stewardship, right? Because mm -hmm. what you are trying to do is understand the model so wholeheartedly that your predictions are reliable enough to where you would assume or you would think that the kind of the, the research that is current and ongoing is going to fit that model. And where it doesn't, then you pivot. I was just going to say that because exactly in that same vein, as literature and things evolve, there are things that we find out don't work, like certain biomarkers that don't have the same clinical rele relevance. And because we are good stewards, We'll remove them and replace them with something better. Sure. Or you refine the model, right. right? Because usually that doesn't mean that the pattern and the connection, the correlation isn't there because you saw it in the previous pattern. Mm -hmm. You just didn't understand the connection well enough, which means there is more to figure out. Right. And, you know, you use the word jargonomics, which is, in essence, the study of jargon. I'm a copyright pending. <laughs> And we use a lot of random words. But what also strikes me is that there are words that we use in this country that are different in other countries, both scientific and layman's terms. Yeah. Which makes me think this might be a fun game, Michael, because you always put me on the spot with games. I do do that. Maybe I can put you on the spot with a fun game, a jargonomics game. I love it. All right. Well, let me work on this buzzer button, make sure it's warmed up, oh, just yeah, like yeah, you do to me. There we go. Here. No. Yeah. 
what? Let's get the, make sure we get the right one going. Give it some reps, some early reps, you know? Not fair. I need control of the board. <laughs> <laughs> Not happening. But, so this game is, we're going to go American versus British slang. And I'm not talking about things like bonnet or boot or solicitor, not those British terms. I'm not even talking about medical terms that the British people say, things like estrogens or vitamins or aluminium. I'm talking about terms that are used in America that are clearly different for the same thing in England. Are you with me? I think so. It's a pretty big wind up. All right, well, let's put some time on the clock there. Okay, Michael. Yeah. The first British term you need to translate into the U.S. is A&E. A&E? Mm-hmm. Oh, well, obviously, that's just short for asthmatic enteritis. No. <laughs> Accident and emergency. It's what they call the emergency department or the ER. I see. Okay, number two, paracetamol. That's going to be an aspirin that you use to treat parasites. <laughs> nope. It's Tylenol or acetaminophen. Got it. All right, number three, chunder. What? Chunder. Listen, I'd, I'm going to admit, I don't know what that is, but the phraseology <laughs> makes me think automatically that it's offensive to somebody. Well, it means to vomit. Because we needed another way to say that word. That's right. All right, next one, sticky plaster. Yeah, that's toothpaste. <laughs> no. It, it's a Band-Aid. Some people just say plaster, but it's a Band-Aid. That's Close. ridiculous. That's absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> Last one, chemist. Well, you mean like someone who does some chemistry? <laughs> no, think medical. Uh, yes, I'd have to think maybe that's pharmacist. That's right. I think you've done quite well, Michael. Hey, I'm going to say the sticky plaster has me really thinking because it I just makes me think of figgy pudding. Oh, we like need to call Like when I hear words like sticky yes. or what, like I'm like, this is obviously a British dessert. <laughs> nope. Triacle. Nope. This is, we're talking Somebody Band-Aids. was thinking about desserts. Are they applying desserts to wounds? Perhaps. To that's actually only a partial joke because I was thinking about honey and how honey oh, typically yeah. was used to heal wounds. Anyway, yeah, no, but I think it makes the point about jargon and words and how we always try to make things more difficult and we're always using new Look, words for I old mean, things that have I been around forever. All the time, I know I, you do. The idea of making oneself sound like they know what they're talking about <laughs> by using polysyllabic words, correct? Right in my wheelhouse. <laughs> I got a minor in polysyllabism. <laughs> Although I don't have a lot of polysyllabic words. Oh, you do. Well, Don't sell yourself no, short. I like to read books. But that being said, we've been talking this whole episode about words and how important words are and how silly words are sometimes. But I think another grouping of words that we encounter a lot in medicine is the concept of causation versus correlation, which uh-huh. often gets missed. Yeah. Uh, And it's funny because this is one of the first things when you start learning some sort of science, (laughs) right? Mm -hmm. This is one of the first things where they're like, okay, make sure to not commit this cardinal sin, which is confusing correlation with uh, causation. And yet we tend to still do it all the time. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's a basic story of chicken and the egg. And I think a classic example is when we start to look at the research around all this metabolomic information and we start to say, oh, well, there's a pattern here, right? So our our AI has determined that these five analytes are elevated, uh, which is predictive of some condition, right? Mm -hmm. Say diabetes. Okay. Um, And just to simplify it, we can say something like alpha uh, hydroxybutyrate is predictive of worsening glycemic control and future diabetes development. Okay. So, that tells you that's a correlation, right? Mm-hmm. That tells you nothing about causation. 
That it's doesn't not tell actionable. you right. Well, it's it's certainly not actionable because you don't know what you're acting on, right? You you know that there's some sort of disease progress or process occurring, but you don't know whether that's due to fatty acid imbalance. You don't know whether that's due to carbohydrate dysfunction. You don't know whether that's endocrine related. You don't because all you have is an analyte and you have a hypothesis about what the role of that analyte is, but you don't know what to do. Can I, can I simplify this? Sure. It's kind of like the whole adage of every house that burns down contains a sink. Yeah. Therefore, sinks cause house fires. Right, right. And so it's basically committing that cardinal sin. Yeah, absolutely. And so the power of a test is in being able to determine what to do with the results. Okay, and so there is certainly something to be gained from understanding a particular risk. So from this standpoint, worsening glycemic control with alpha-hydroxybutyrate, like we've, we have that in our content materials. Uh, it plays a role in, in some of the recommendations. But certainly, if that's on your DDX, then you could also do fasting insulin. You could also mm-hmm. do other things to determine worsening glycemic control. So it's one variable, right? It's one data point. But the power of a test is putting together the data in a way that is reliable and actionable. And, and that's that's the point here. And the reliability can be either data-driven. It can be outcome study related. Sure. It can be anecdotal evidence based on experience and, and hearing things from clients or you yourself acting on specific biomarkers and getting a particular outcome. Sure. And I think one of the things, too, that we need to understand in functional and integrative medicine is that there is kind of a hierarchy in how we should be evaluating these things, right? So you mentioned outcome studies. I think that should certainly be given a higher weight Mm -hmm. as far as reliability than something like a metabolomic assessment, which just gives you data points that suggest something, right? So um, it's, it's tying the whole thing together. When you have an outcome study that proves your hypothesis correct, that is so much more bada powerful. Boom, bada right, exactly. Then something that is, oh, these five analytes are predictive of a disease. So we have to, we have to fulfill that full story. And you're never going to get there without outcome studies, which is why in functional medicine, outcome studies are going to be so powerful over the next five to 10 years, especially if they prove our hypotheses correct. Yikes, that was an extensive Michael Chapman rant right there. Yeah, that's probably why Travis is just staring at me. (laughs) Oh, or it could be that. (laughs) Good work, Travis. (laughs) What time is it? Oh, you know what time it is. Question of the day, question of the day, question of the day, question of the day. Wait, what time is it? Oh, I think you know what time it is. That's terrible. <laughs> like the submarine wasn't enough yet to add the peacock. Well, I will say, thank goodness for the jingle don't because get, don't I, let me get the witch in there. I have been fielding email after email about jingle withdrawal because we oh, haven't yeah. been around for a while. No, so understand. thank you for that dose the of struggle, Michael Chapman genius. The struggle is real. I understand. <laughs> Well, this brings us to the very first question of the day of 2022. Oh, wow. How about that? Is it from Joe? No, I don't think so. I don't think this is from Joe. No. I heard from Joe. No. Actually, Travis just handed me this. It's okay. not from Joe. But it is an excellent question. And in the vein of talking about words and word salad and mm. confusing words, mm-hmm. especially as it relates to laboratory and other types of medical issues, this is one that we get a lot 
Michael Chapman, can you talk to us about the difference between sensitivity and specificity? Oh, boy. Uh-huh, it's a doozy. One of my favorite right. topics to rant about. This oh, is, this is like a rant episode. Okay, yes. so sensitivity specificity is something that we clinicians um, have been befuddled by, I think. Mm-hmm. Bamboozled is another way to wow. say that. Uh, because we don't understand what we're talking about when we commonly use these terms. Because we, we tend to exchange these terms for basically what we want to know is like, accuracy right Mm -hmm. i think i think most of the time when clinicians and myself included when we say oh you know sensitivity specificity we really are just asking the question is like is this thing accurate is it a good test right Right. exactly yeah um sensitivity and specificity are really terms that are specific should only be applied to is an analyte not even a test profile but like a specific analyte diagnostic for a condition Okay, so mm-hmm. um, for instance, is this uh, C. diff enzyme immunoassay sensitive for determining somebody who has C. diff infection? We know they have C. diff infection. Does this particular assay pick that up? Rule or it in not? or rule it out. Rule it in, rule it out. Right. right. So that is that you cannot extrapolate that to say a particular test profile has a certain sensitivity or specificity for blah, 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 blah. Unless you're saying, I know this group of patients have Crohn's disease, and this test could tell me that they had Crohn's disease in 95% of the cases, and they didn't. It ruled it out in 95% of the cases. That's what we're talking about. We're not talking about, is it accurate? That's a totally different question. And it gets even more confusing because that's clinical sensitivity specificity, which is different from analytical sensitivity specificity. Right. And just to make the point, we often get that question, like how sensitive is the GI effects to rule something in? And the answer is you don't really go by an entire profile. We go by biomarker and the GI effects hasn't been studied in every specific disease to rule it in or rule it out. It's not a diagnostic test. But to your bigger point, that's clinical then you also have to parse out the fact that some of this can be laboratory assay and analytical, like in the lab. At what level is this particular assay able to detect a specific analyte? Like how sensitive is it? What's the detection limit? You know how I know you've been spending too much time around me? How? You not only started that rant with particular, but then you went into a rant that sounded very much like... (laughs) The witch. (laughs) What's not the love? (laughs) Next time on The Lab Report, we're going to talk about the thyroid. And nutrition and various nutrients that can affect thyroid function. Very important. You've been listening to The Lab Report. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to our podcast, rate us, and leave us a review. To learn more about Genova Diagnostics, visit our website at gdx.net. There you'll find information on specific testing, educational resources, and how to connect with our show. Call us at 1-800-522-4762 or email us at podcast at gdx.net. But I think it makes the point that we use a lot of words that really all mean the same thing. From the beginning of time, the medical field has done this. And you should be ashamed of yourselves. (laughs) No, let's go back to (laughs) <laughs> Let's go back to after all that. Even.